Well, if you've been with us, we have been working our way through again. What does it look like to be a biblically healthy church? And we have talked about the importance of preaching and the primacy of God's Word and how that is also shaping the way in which we had this big view of all that's happening from Genesis to Revelation. And we talked about the importance of sound doctrine and what we believe and how those things inform what we understand about what it means to actually be born again, conversion, and how that then impacts our evangelism. And that brought us into other conversations about, well, if we're out sharing the gospel, what is it about welcoming people into the church? And what's it look like for church membership? And then last week we discussed, well, if we're going to have a church covenant and walk with one another in faithfulness as the scriptures compel us, then what does it look like to act with church discipline and love and urging one another to live holy and godly lives? And so this morning, just in some ways, a continuation of that as we come to this idea of discipleship or discipling one another. And as I stand before you this morning, I'm one who is indebted to discipleship. I think back on my father who modeled love for rich and poor, young and old, friend and stranger. Or my mother who at nights before bed would get out the copy of her Bible and begin to read with me just night after night there in my room. I think about a student minister who welcomed me into his home weekly, me and a few other students, and taught us how to study God's Word, how to apply it and live it. I think about men in this church like Forrest Kelly who taught me much about visitation and how to shepherd the church. To others like Ray Acre who long modeled long obedience in the same direction as he and Marion served the church day in and day out. To Celsie Stewart, who showed me in weekly prayer what it means to continually ask God to examine and purify our hearts and our minds. I can go on, but the truth is my life has been shaped by discipleship. As yours. You see, the truth is our lives are transformed by the church, or they should be. And it's a reminder that disciples make disciples. I mean, that's what it means to be a healthy disciple. A healthy disciple is making other disciples. And, and listen, there's going to be intentional ways we're going to talk about, but many of those very things were just happening in daily life. It's the way in which we live. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy or convenient to begin to pour our lives into others. It wasn't for the people that I mentioned. I mean, think about it. Discipling other people is time-consuming. It, it's It's costly. Like you're saying no to many other good things so you can say yes to that thing. Often in discipling others, it, it's a long road. It can appear like you're making little or no difference. And that's why we need a different perspective. And so today's text, we're going to come to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to focus in mainly on just two verses, verse 28 and 29 of Colossians 1. And, and we're going to hear this idea. It's been said in different ways, but I think maybe this is a great way for you to think about this, to frame this message and take it with you. This simple statement, we proclaim now to present later. We proclaim now to present later. Maybe a more fuller definition would be this. We make disciples by proclaiming Christ in order to present everyone mature in Christ. Right? We make disciples by proclaiming Christ in order to present everyone mature in Christ. Today's message in some ways is simple. Right? We're going to ask this. How does Paul make disciples? What is, what is he after? What is he doing? How does he come about that? And then we're going to follow up to ask this question. Why? 
Why is Paul so intent on disciple making? So again, the first question is, how does Paul make disciples, which would inform how we might make disciples? And then we're going to ask another question to follow that up. Why does Paul make disciples? What is he after? And what we're going to see is, is Paul is going to write here again in the church at Colossae. That's modern day Western Turkey. Paul, at the time he writes this letter, it's believed that he's in prison, likely in Rome. And he's writing to a place that he hasn't been And he's telling them, listen, there's some dangerous teaching that's happening in the church around you. There's some dangerous things going on in the church there at Colossae. And he's writing them to remind them what is the truth of the gospel. And then urging them, keep pressing on toward maturity in Christ. I think that brings us to ask our first question. How does Paul or how do we labor to make disciples? How do we do it? So look at me if you would. Again, Colossians chapter 1. And that brings us again to this truth. We make disciples by proclaiming Christ. We make disciples by proclaiming Christ. Remember, we proclaim Christ now. That's what we're after. Proclaiming Christ now, ultimately to present later. If you would, pick up with me Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 24 to 29. Kind of the lay of the land a little bit. And then zoom in 28 and 29. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may, listen to this, present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, or this I labor, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Notice again, back in verse 24, Paul is saying, listen, the aim of this, what I'm after is, this is about the church. He said, I have an intention of the church. And what I want to do, he says, well, verse 25 there, I want to make the word of God fully known amongst the church. Why? Because in the gospel, in the word of God, we hear this mystery revealed, this unknown for ages past, now known, that God intends not only to save the Jews, but the Gentiles, us. And it's so glorious that the truth becomes is that Christ indwells us. And this is the hope of glory. But we might ask, well, Paul, how are you laboring to make the word of God fully known? Well, look what he says. Verse 28. Him we proclaim. He's making the word of God fully known by proclaiming Christ, by announcing and preaching the good news. And notice who he's proclaiming. It's him. It's Christ. Christ is who we start with, and Christ is who we finish with. Church, it's been said that Jesus isn't just A to A, B, C. He's the A to Z. Jesus is the entire alphabet, right? I mean, that's what we're after from beginning to end. Hebrews 12 says, I want you to know that Jesus is the author. He's the beginner, and he's also what, church? The finisher of our faith. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. It's Jesus all in between. But why? Why do we proclaim christ why is it that the gospel brings such transformation listen to paul turn me just just over maybe a page if you need to look at colossians 2 
13. Let's just do 13 and 14. That's what he says. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Let that wash over you for a moment. I, re- I was reading part of my reading this week's been in Leviticus, man. There was a day there. It talks about how God has forgiven all your sins. And I just couldn't get past it. I told him, I was like, dude, I just can't. What a statement. All? Don't rush past that. If you are in Christ, all of your sins are gone. They're covered. They've been paid in full. If you're not in Christ, that is the hope that we are presenting to you this morning. That's it. What he says. How how does this happen? Verse 14. Look at this. How does this happen? Because again, notice again. He says in verse 13, we are dead in our trespasses. But God is going to do for us what we could never do. He's making us alive. He's forgiving us of all of our trespasses. How? Look what he says. Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. And how did he do it, church? They looked to the cross. It's Christ. It's Christ that comes. Again, we're proclaiming Christ. It's okay, buddy. Take it with you. I don't don't need it. That's a gift. You're welcome. But listen, he says, listen, guys, you're dead in your sins. And and the only way that you can be transformed, made alive, God must do it. That's why we're proclaiming this gospel. Again, that's why we urge you, guard your Sunday mornings. That you can be in this place and hear the word of God for your soul. And again, what basis does God transform us? Look again, verse 14. There's a debt that stands against us. Why? Because we are made in God's image. You were on Wednesday night. We've been walking through the book of Romans. It says the creation declares the glory of God. It says that men and women are without excuse. But it says there that the truth is men and women suppress the truth. They push it down. That's what the word indicates. There's a shoving away of the word of God. I don't want to hear that. I don't want that. I don't need that. That doesn't fit my life. But it says despite that, we are still without excuse. And so there's a legal demand, there's a record of debt that stands against us and it separates you, as the, as the prophet says, your sins have separated you from your God. And the question is, how does any man or woman, boy or girl, bridge that gap? You can't. Not in your own strength. That's why we just sang, it's amazing what, church? Amazing Grace. That's what we read from Romans 5, that where sin abounds, grace does what, church? It abounds all the more. That's the hope. And he took that debt that stood against us and he paid it in full. I mean, that's why Paul is saying, we proclaim him. It's him. That's the one that we're proclaiming. I mean, isn't that the truth that we sing? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Come on, church. It was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord. It was nailed to the cross. It seems to echo the words of Colossians 2 and 14. That's why we sing with such joy. And because of this, look again, back to verse 29 here in Colossians chapter 1. Paul says, for this I toil. This I labor, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
Paul says, listen, guys, I want you to know that I'm, I'm, I'm laboring with everything I had. This is hard work. This isn't easy work of making disciples. This just doesn't happen. Paul says, I, at times, he, he uses imagery like a woman in childbirth. Or he, he, he talks about it like in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. He uses the imagery. He says, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He says, listen, this is like a, Jesus says in Mark chapter 4. He uses that same imagery of farming. He says, consider how the farmer, they get up day and night and, and they're planting and working in their fields. But something happens. Jesus says that they go to bed and they get up and that seed that was in the ground has done what, farmers? It's beginning to grow, grow and sprout. It says, it's a mystery. How this begins to happen. And, and Jesus' point is similar to Paul's point. Listen, that remind us the work is hard. The labor and the struggle is real. But behind it all, there's a God who's giving growth. The same God that gives the growth in the field is the same God that gives the growth in the church. It is this God at work. Guys, this is why we can rest and trust in this gospel. When we preach, we teach, we share the gospel, we are laboring and we are struggling, but let us not forget that it's God who does the work. Isn't that Paul's imagery in 1 Corinthians 3? The church is arguing, oh, I like this guy more, right? Oh, Apollos, he's so well, I mean, he's just a great speaker, that's the guy I want. Oh, no, look at Paul, he's not as impressive now, but some people are like, man, I, I like Paul, and they're fighting, and Paul comes and says, who is Paul, who is Apollos? One plants, one waters. God gives the growth. Therefore, he who plants and he who waters is nothing. But only God who gives the growth. That's what Paul seems to be saying to us again here. For this I toil. I'm struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. And we might ask, well, how do we proclaim this gospel then? How do we teach it? In your Sunday school classes, in your homes, like, how do we do it? Look what he says, back in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Warning is confronting with the intent of changing one's attitudes and actions. Teaching is helping others know how they might grow or what does it look like to grow? What does it mean to grow? We could say that warning will teach and teaching will warn. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, when Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed, he says it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and trained in righteousness. That simply means this. The Bible tells us what is right, what isn't right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's what it's after. But we might wonder, well, like, well, when should we do this? Like, when are we to be discipling others? Is that just on Sunday mornings? Is that Wednesday nights? Is that Sunday nights? Like, when are we to do that? Well, right after the giving of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses seems to teach us or show us what that should look like. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. Look what it says. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Mm. Be careful. There are many men and women who know this word well in their minds. But as Paul warns the church at Corinth, knowledge puffs up, but love does what, church? Builds up. something I have to guard against in my own soul if I was being truthful, beloved. 
careful. Jesus said that you know the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Moses says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And the question is, well, how does this happen, right? I mean, again, it's a work of God, but practically, what are we to be doing? How are we to be proclaiming? How are we to be sharing this gospel, church? That's what we're after today. Listen to what Moses says, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. That's the definition of discipleship. Discipleship is sharing the word of God through every moment of life. That's the imagery that's given throughout the Bible. Consider how this applies. Consider the parent and the grandparent here this morning. I want to ask, are you modeling Christ in your home? How are you working to disciple the children or grandchildren God's given you? Are you making the most of your days? Reading, praying, singing together? Maybe you say, Blake, I don't even know where to begin. Man, I know we would love, others in this church, we would love to walk beside you in that. We don't always get it right in our own homes. I mean, I was reminded of that last night. I was there trying to work through, going through the message again, just praying, studying, thinking through more. And there was a little bit of a squabble. And I was like, you know what? I need to really be working. I don't really have a moment to get up off this couch. And so I just kind of like, hey, quit doing that. But the danger is, right, if that becomes how we always handle issues in our home, that's how we always disciple, then we're missing out for our children the bigger, deeper issue of the heart. There's something deeper happening just in that outward action. There's a motive that lies beneath the surface. It doesn't all of our hearts. It doesn't every action, right? Whether it's between you and your employer, whether it's between you and your friend or that person in social media, or it's between you and, and a spouse, whoever it is, like there's always something deeper happening in the hearts. Discipleship's hard, is what I'm saying. It requires us to get up off the couch. It requires it, it inconveniences our lives. It's easier to say, hey, quit, stop, go on, leave them alone. But discipleship is every moment. Think about how it also applies to the church. I would ask first, are you being discipled by others here? That's the first step. Are you being discipled by others? A great first step in that is say, Blake, I, I'm not sure. Well, obviously our first place of discipleship is here, but are you a part of a Sunday school class? I think that's the, the Bible is, is urging us to spend time studying God's Word together and I want to ask you, are you? Maybe another step might be Sunday nights and community groups. It's designed for fellowship, but it's also intentional of opening our lives up together to, hey, ask questions like, tell me, are you reading the Word? How's it changing you? Are you spending time in prayer? Who have you shared the gospel with this week? Is there an area of sin or temptation that I could pray for you, brother or sister? See, I think we not only need to consider like ways in which we're being discipled by others, but we need to consider how am I discipling others here? I think we've seen it in previous weeks, right? We all have responsibility. We've said it in our church covenant, but the scriptures tell us we have responsibility to watch and care for one another's souls. Are you using the gifts God's given you? Are you serving and helping equip others? As we're going to see in a minute, this is not no, this is no idle task. This is no like, ah, you know what, it's not that big. No, this is a big deal. It's not just about your soul, right? That, that's part of this life as believers. It is to come into a community, a family, 
where it's not just about, oh, I'm good, I'm all right, I don't need that. No, it is to look to the others and say, oh, that weaker brother or sister, that younger brother or sister, I can see him. And what you might find is that weaker brother or sister or that younger brother or sister also has a way in which they can help equip and strengthen you. We need each other, beloved. But not only to parents and grandparents, not only to the church, I think to our worship services. Again, when's our main time of discipleship at the church? This is it. It's this service. This is it. Every time we gather to worship, that's what we're striving to do. How are we forming and shaping and making disciples? As we think through, how do we pray? Right, We're shaping the people. You're learning to pray as you hear others in the church pray. We're thinking through as we sing the songs, as we hear the sermons preached, as we hear people giving testimony, right? All these things are working together as we take of the Lord's Supper or baptism. All of these actions are discipling. Again, we can strive to do everything to the best of our ability, but beloved, unless the Spirit does the work, it's only the Spirit can transform these moments and capture our hearts and conform us to the image of Christ. So we've heard Paul tells us, why are you working so hard, Paul? Like, what is the aim there? And Paul says, well, listen, here's how I'm, here's what I'm after. I'm I'm proclaiming the gospel. It's the gospel that that makes disciples. It's the gospel that's shared in in, in the private, in our homes. It's the gospel that's shared in the public. It's, It's the gospel. It's proclaiming Christ. It's warning. It's teaching. It's with all wisdom. Why? Because, well, Paul said that's a good question. I'm glad you asked why. And that brings us to our second point. Why, Paul? Why go through this? And it's this truth. In order to present everyone mature in Christ. In order to present everyone mature in Christ, remember this statement again, we proclaim now to present later. Look at it again, verse 28 of Colossians 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that or so that, listen to this, we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's why Paul's laboring so hard. That's why your parent or grandparent labored so hard. That's why that Sunday school teacher that maybe you grew up learning and hearing, that's why that VBS teacher that you had year after year, that's why that person shows up and drives the bus week after week. That's why I could go on and on. It's, there's something happening here. There's a realization. There's coming a day. Like we sing about it, right? And for us who are in Christ, I mean, there, there, there's excitement and joy when that day is coming. But we have an aim, And notice he says, it's to present everyone mature in Christ. I mean, listen, Paul's aim is not merely for people to make professions. He wants them to have true possession that bears fruit. That's giving evidence that they're growing into maturity. They're becoming more and more like Christ. I think a great question to ask ourselves is this. In what ways are we longing or desiring to see spiritual growth right now? What way right now in your life are you longing, desiring to see spiritual growth? What areas right now are maybe lacking that growth? Because this is our aim. We, we, want, we are proclaiming the gospel. We are sitting under the gospel week after week. We want to grow on to maturity. But we might ask, well, well, what is even maturity? What does that look like? Look what he says. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Some of you, depending on your translation, the NASB, 
I think it was NASB. And in the NIV 84, they both said to present everyone perfect in Christ. No, no, Paul, in using that word, right, this word that has this indication of completion, he's not saying that we become perfect in this life, right? We, we see that throughout Scripture. But the indication is that you and I are becoming in more and more like Christ. We are putting off the old man, right? I mean, Paul used that imagery of taking off the old man and putting on Christ. It's, as Paul says, right, that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, he says that, Jesus died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Is that your life? Can we put that epitaph on your life today? That Jesus died for you, that you would no longer live for yourself, but for him who died for you and was raised again. You you see, Christianity is putting Christ first, others second, and ourselves last. Or as Pastor Don Carson said, to die to self means to consider it better to die than to lust. To consider it better to die than to tell this falsehood. To consider it better to die than to, you name the sin. Church, don't lose sight of who we are striving to see mature. Look what he says again. Hear it again. Verse 28. Him we, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present Everyone mature in Christ. Who are we to be who are striving to make mature? Everyone. Three times in this simple verse, Paul echoes again and again to say, do not miss it. Young, old, new believer, a Christian for 50 years, the aim of our discipleship is no one gets left behind. Many of you have probably heard or seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge. It's the true story of private first class Desmond Doss. He won the Congressional Medal of Honor despite refusing to bear arms during World War II on religious grounds. He was drafted and soon ostracized by fellow soldiers for his pacifist stance, but went on to earn respect and adoration for his bravery, selflessness, and compassion after he risked his life without firing a shot to save 75 men in the Battle of Okinawa. Right, again, I don't know how much you know of the story and where your feelings fall on some of those things, But I think what's undeniable is he had a thought. No one, everyone is valuable. No one gets left behind. There's how much more, right, for us as we think about the believers in this room, the local church, that everyone would be mature in Christ. That's it. As we look toward that day, I mean, again, because look, look what he says. We're going to present everyone mature in Christ. That's our aim, that we may present them, right? There's coming a day when each of us will stand before the Lord and give an account. Paul says, listen, guys, this is why, verse 29, I am toiling, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Again, the word toil or labor, it's used also in Luke 5. It's when Peter and the boys have been out all night fishing. You know the story. And Jesus tells him in verse 4, he says, hey, let, put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter responds, Master, we've toiled. That's the same word. We've labored hard all night. And we've caught what, church? Nothing. But at your word. But at your word. We will let down the nets. And it says that they began to get such a large catch of fish that the nets began to break Peter's overcome in that moment. 
But consider that moment for Peter's life. In his own strength, he worked all night and he caught nothing. But at the word of the Lord, there's a strength the Lord can do. Do you hear that this morning? Does that resonate in your soul this day? There's a work that you can't do in your spouse. There's a work that you can't do in your children. There's a work that you can't do in that close friend or family member. But there is an almighty God who says what is impossible with man is possible with God. Can I get a witness? Amen. Consider, though, that moment again for Peter. What's changed for Peter? The conditions haven't changed. Peter doesn't have new bait. The same old nets. In a lot of ways, Peter's attitude maybe is even different. A lot of things appear the same, but one thing has changed, and that is the word of the Lord. That's what Peter's saying. And that's what Paul's echoing here. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Hopefully in hearing this this morning, you're realizing you are called to be a disciple and to disciple others. But maybe you wonder, like, like where should I start? How, who might I even choose the disciple? Like, how, if, if, man, I hear it, it's biblical, I, I want, I long for this for my own soul and the soul of others. So what's the first step? Well, Pastor Mark Dever shares some things to consider when choosing who you might disciple. And I thought, man, they were helpful, and I just want to share a couple of them with you. One, family member. The Bible says, specifically in 1 Timothy, that we are to provide for our own family. And to refuse to do so, he says, is is denying the faith and worse than an unbeliever. And if that's on physical means of protecting and providing, how much more for our family's spiritual well-being? So if God has given you a family, I don't know what that looks like for you, but I would say to you, brother, sister, begin there. Are you beginning there? Secondly, a Christian. Why? Because the Bible's clear. Non-believers see the gospel as foolishness. This is what Paul says. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Like they, they, don't, they don't see this and cherish it and long for it and desire to live in obedience to it. That's why, because they're dead in sin like we once were. That's how we used to live. So I want to encourage you. Look for another Christian to disciple. Again, that doesn't mean that we're not sharing the gospel with unbelievers. Absolutely. Paul is proclaiming the gospel wherever he goes. Whoever will listen. But as you think about discipleship, right? That's family member, a Christian. Maybe consider a church member. Consider all that you have already in common to discuss, right? You're hearing the same sermons week after week. You're singing the songs. You, you may be in a similar Sunday school class or studying similar material. Furthermore, you, you're bound together because you've affirmed the same statement of faith and you are covenanting with that, one, that other one to watch over one of their souls. So I encourage you, look to other church members. Consider gender. Paul tells us in Titus chapter 2 that Older women are to teach younger women, and older men are to work with younger men. And so there's just wisdom in that. Consider also that brings us to age, right? Typically, it's the older that are working with the younger. But again, that doesn't mean that they're not situations when younger is is impacting the older. There's always that mutual going ongoing ongoing sharpening of one another, as, as the text says to us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But again, think about age. And then lastly, maybe just proximity, schedules. Who do you know that your schedule seems to line up with theirs? Things just seem to work out well with them and maybe not someone else in this season. And so there's just some wisdom and practicality in that. Again, all of this from Colossians 1 urges us to sow this word. Sow it today in your family. 
Sow this word in our church. Sow it amongst the community. This is the word that we are to proclaim. Why? Because it is our longing to present everyone mature in Christ, trusting that God's word will not return void. Each message at the end, we've asked maybe three big questions. One is, where have we been? I've shared at the beginning, right? We're blessed in this congregation to have so many that have discipled others. And man, as we were singing that last song, and I was just thinking through sharing that at the beginning, I thought, man, how many of those brothers, sisters have already gone on to be with the Lord? And you know what that means? You and others have taken their place. You know what that means? That if you and I live long enough, somebody else will have our place too. It's humbling. Teaching us the number of our days, isn't it, Bobby? I urge you to consider this morning, how much of your maturity in Christ do you owe to others in this congregation? Could I just, just urge you forward? To reach out to someone that's helped you along the way, that's formed your life, that's discipled you, that's taken time for you. I think, where are we now? I, I think specifically there, there, there's a family that I've seen just over Emily and I's almost 18 years of being here, just seeing them, just taking in other young kiddos throughout different time, teaching them off and right how, how to work and do things, showing up at their ball games and supporting them, taking them out to eat, having them with, like, man, they've just modeled for my soul, what it looks like to disciple others well. I mean, there's just right around you, literally happening right beside us. So there's others you can ask, like, how did that even start? How did you begin with those questions? How did you begin to develop those relationships? Again, where are we? We're thinking about Sunday school and community groups, Wednesday nights. Everything we do, we're striving to be centered on the Word. Why? Because Jesus says in John 17, sanctify them by truth. Your Word is truth. It's God's Word that transforms us. With that, I, I want to say thank you. As my family and I prepare to step off the scene and head off to the mission field, man, I think about how this church has impacted my soul and that of my family. I, I think about, man, just one of the things, that if, you, if you're new here, you need to know, part of GBC, it, the DNA of this church is missions. I mean, early on, right, when I first had conversations about, well, come on, man, part of the understanding was, hey, what we do is changers. And now we understand part of that is Oklahoma. And then many of you have been to places like Honduras, where I think about the ways in which you supported Emily and I, whether it was going to Costa Rica or it was my first mission trip ever. It's a part of being a member of this church. You guys encouraged me and, and urged me to go forward. Think about moments with Brother Todd and I in Zimbabwe or Emily and I to Kenya or her to Haiti and on and on. This church has been intentional in just shaping our lives. You see it just little by little, the way in which the church has just urged and gone forth in missions. It's shaped my soul. And if you do a little bit of investigation, my guess is you're going to find it shaping your soul too. But it's also in small moments. This past week in our family worship, we've been in Second Kings and we finished up Elijah and came into Elisha and we were just asking questions of the kiddos as we were walking through the text. And, man, Judah dude was just rocking it out. Just bam, bam, bam. And it hit me. I don't know if I've really, like, spent much time teaching any of these stories. And then I realized who had. You. <laughs> you. In Sunday school, on Wednesday nights, in BBS, in little moments all in between. Your pouring in of the word to my son was bearing fruit this past week. And you didn't see it. You didn't see it. But, beloved, it's happening. 
So I just want to say, just as I think about where we are as a church, I want to say thank you. You've shaped my soul, my wife's soul, my children's souls. This is not a perfect place by any means, no more than any family, but it is a good place to be at home. Thank you. I think then it leads us to the question, where are we going? My hope and prayer is that you walk away from today's text realizing that more than any program, a church needs a heart or a culture of discipleship. More than relying upon, oh man, that's going to make it happen on Wednesday night or if we do that on Sunday night. No, it is, it is as Deuteronomy 6 makes clear, right? It is this ongoing day in and day out laboring. Guys, I hope that we see that the aim of our church is to proclaim the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. It is the gospel. It is God's word. It is as we preach the word, as we teach the word, as we share it in our homes, in our community. It is the gospel that God is using to transform. And again, it's little by little. Often we don't see it in the moment, but it is bearing fruit. So as we close, might I ask you, consider two people right now in your life that you long to see presented mature in Christ. I want to ask you, as you think about them, again, it may be a family member, maybe a church member, a friend, someone that you care about. I don't know who it is for you. But as you think about those two individuals, I want to ask you, what are you intentionally doing to share and proclaim this gospel, warning and teaching with all wisdom that they might be presented mature in Christ? Consider it for a moment before you rush back out with your week and things get hectic and busy. What are you doing? Again, they may call you daddy or mama or grandma or grandpa or maybe a friend or fellow church. I don't know. But what are you doing this day to labor in sharing this word that they might stand before Christ mature in him? What do you need to begin doing? To the unbeliever? It's not just God's people who will stand before him and give an account. Hebrews 9 and 27 says that we are all destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The truth is you can stand before God, as Colossians 2 makes clear, dead in your trespasses and sins with a record of debt standing against you. Or, as we're getting ready to sing, you can come to Jesus and rest in him. The one who took the record of debt that was nailed to the cross. And you can bear your sin no more. There's no fear in death, no fear in life. This is the power of Christ in me. Today I urge you, unbeliever, do not continue in your sin. There is a day of judgment and wrath that is coming. I urge you this hour. It may be this day. That's the, that's the deception. None of us think it will be us. Look around the church. Four funerals this week. Three on the same day. The people in that, from, that are connected in this congregation. You think this week it couldn't be you? It couldn't be me? We're deceived. We think we're going to live forever. We think we're all going to grow old. I urge you this hour. This hour. This day the Word of God says. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Get right with Almighty God.
And we've come to the Father through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I urge you today, come to Jesus and rest in Him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You. Thank You for all the ways in which You have used this text in my own soul to shape my own life and the life of my bride and my children. Father, I know that there must be many amens in the hearts and lives of those in this flock who have experienced that very same thing. Thank You, God, for the community of believers here that is pouring into others. Thank You for those who have gone already before us, Lord, who have already passed into glory. They are where we who are in Christ are headed. Father, we thank You now for the leaders and the teachers and all those who serve in all the ways that allow things to happen for discipleship. Thank You, Father, for them. Encourage them this day. Help them realize their labor is not in vain, that there is a day coming that we might each stand mature in Christ. Father, I pray, though, for teachers in this congregation, Lord, I pray that whenever they teach, that the main thing will be the main thing, and that is the Word of God. I pray it will get the lion's share of their attention and it will capture their hearts, that they will come on fire to share the truth that they have been studying that week. Father, I ask that you would comfort this congregation. Lord, we think about this week. Lord, we think about Tommy Watkins and the passing of his mother. Or Miss Camila and the passing of her sister. Or Jason and Rhonda and the passing of their daughter. And then we consider today, Lord, C.R. Mears and his funeral. Lord, death is in many ways all around us. And yet we know that there is one who on that Sunday morning, on the third day, came up out of the grave victorious. In the midst of death, we can stand in Christ and say, O death, where is thou victory? O death, where is thou sting? Thy have been swallowed up. All glory be to Christ. Father, strengthen this church to proclaim now that they might present later everyone mature in Christ. Lord, we need your spirit to accomplish this. Help us, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.